Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 106, verse 1, and I want to conclude our message on the big W's of life. The big W's of life has been what we've been talking about since we had our grand opening September 12th. The first W is, <coughs> excuse me, is who am I? Who am I? We studied from the Bible that evolution is not true. We studied that we're created by God, and we gave you reasons why not to believe in evolution. We talked to you about the cosmological argument. Everything that has a cause must have a causer. We talked to you about the theological argument, the argument from design. Everything that's designed has a designer. And we talked to you about the argument from morals, that if you have morals, you must have a moral giver. So somebody say, I'm created in God's image. Amen. That's called in Latin the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei on my blog, I just wrote about it, about made in the image of God, not by uh, ape-like ancestors over millions of years, by chanceless evolution. Then the second lesson was, why am I here? Okay, I know who I am. I'm made in the image of God, but why am I here? And we learned that God made us with a purpose, and that Psalms 139 talks about God wrote out the days of our lives in his book and gave it to you called life. And you're supposed to ask him every day and say, God, what? What is on the page for today? And we learned that the biggest purpose we have in life, you can sum it all up in loving God, loving people. That's why we're here. We're here to love God, to find the purpose he gave us, to please him. And then we're to love people, and starting with our family, friends, and community. And so that's why we're here. And then after that, we learned one of the most important things is, what do we do in this life after we have Jesus? What is our purpose for being here? And we began to understand that the purpose goes just beyond loving God and loving people, it goes out into our ministries. It goes out into changing the world. And today's last one is, where are my keys? Now, this one has been like intriguing. People have been going like, where are you going with this? You know, like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And then all of a sudden, or where do I go when I die? And then it's, where are my keys? Well, let me tell you how I could have made the message today. If I would have known this would have been happening, I could have named it, where is the air conditioning? Where is the air conditioning. Now, let me just tell you what I had prepared because this happens to me a lot. I will misplace my keys and have no idea where they are. Normally, I will realize that I've lost my keys when I'm going to my car. So I've already left the house, and then I'm by my car, and then I realize I don't have my keys. Then I have to go back, and I begin to look for them. And this is now a journey of looking under my mattress, looking under a place, and then eventually I find them. How many have ever lost your keys like that? How many have ever lost your cell phone and you have to say to your friend, call my phone? And then all of a sudden it rings in the microwave and you're like, how did it get there? Somehow it just picks up legs and it just crawls somewhere. Well, the, the trick or the intrigue behind this was really something deep. And that's why I told you to come expecting to put on your thinker today. Because really the question is, why is there evil and suffering in this life? So who am I? Why am I here? Where do I go when I die? And why is there suffering here on this earth? Now let me tell you how God prepared us for this message. Can I tell you what has happened in my life and the people I know within the last 30 days? A close family that we know and love lost their baby. Their baby came out prematurely and they lost their baby in the hospital. During this time, one of our pastors in India had had a brain hemorrhage, and they asked us to send finances to help him in the hospital. As the money was traveling to him, he had another hemorrhage and died in the hospital. 
During this same time, one of the friends of our church has a restaurant outside of the restaurant. One of the people he knows got shot in the head, is still in the hospital on life support. Also during this time, a close friend of mine is beginning the process of losing his business with the bank that he has had for over 20 years. And then, as if that wasn't enough to get me touched with suffering, God then had to make it personal. And if you know anything about me, been to my house, everything has a proper place in order. And so when I show up to church at 7.30, everything here has got to be speak and span and right on target. Well, the moment I get in here, the Internet's not working, the elevator's not working, the air conditioning's not working, the plugs along that wall, for some reason, are not working, but that one is hence the uh, extension cord. The lights in the cafe are not working, but they're working everywhere else. And so I then have to spend the next hour and a half until the moment you saw me walk through that door, talking to the landlord, calling ComEd, working with an electrician. And I can tell you, I'm asking God right now, why is there evil? Why is there so much suffering down here? Come on, God. I mean, how come you don't take out the electricity of the bar? I mean, there was some bar last night. It was bumping and grinding. Lights were flashing, and the air conditioning was cool. But all of a sudden for church, and all hell breaks loose. Why? Where are my keys? You see, that's the idea. No matter how small you make the situation, like, man, I'm, I'm suffering because I don't have my keys, to how big the situation is, is why did my mom die? Why did my baby die? Why did I not have the child I was promised? Why is there evil? And suffering in this world. Well, philosophers have spent many years tackling it. In the 18th century, David Hume, an atheistic philosopher, said it like this. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. So that means God is powerless. So if he could stop evil and he doesn't, then he's powerless. Is God able but not willing? Then he's a malevolent malivian, a person. That means he's, he's mean. I mean, if God could actually stop evil and just hit a button and go, no more evil, stop, and he doesn't, then he's malevolent. And then is God both able and willing, but then why is there evil? I don't know if you've ever found yourselves in these conundrums. It kind of goes like this. A good God would destroy evil. If he was good, he would destroy it. An all-powerful God could destroy evil. Evil is not destroyed, so we still have evil today. Therefore, there cannot possibly be such a good and powerful God. This is how atheists think. This is why they tell you, I don't believe in a God, because of evil. If God was big and strong as you say he is, he could just wipe it out with one word. If God is as loving and as kind as he is, then he would do it. But if he doesn't do it, then that means he's mean, and God's not really God. He's really the devil. And if he's not powerful enough, then God himself needs a God to rescue him. Well, when you come to the answers outside of Christianity, you have to look at here's what the different answers that people will give you. The first one from the atheist point of view would say there's no such things as good and evil, only natural selection and evolution. And so really there are no absolute truths. So what's right for you may not be right for somebody else. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for somebody else. But do you know that atheists don't live according to their beliefs? Because when an atheist loses a child... Do you show up to the atheist's house with candy and a party and say, we're so happy you lost your child. That means the human race is getting stronger. 
No, you mourn with the atheist family. Why? Because they still value life. But if there is no God and we're just here as evolutionary chance and the, the propagation moving forward of the species, then children dying is actually a good thing. Old people dying is a good thing. Sick people should be killed. And as Germany thought, racism is a good thing to build up a superior race. See, atheists want to attack the Christians, and they want to say, oh, there's no good or real evil, and there's no God. It's just do what you want and live a life according to your own morals. And then when you ask them, would it be okay according to my own morals to steal everything you have? Would it be okay according to my morals to eat you for dinner? Then they begin to say, no, 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 no. Let me define something. And let me tell you something. The moment you say there's no absolute truth, you've just said your first absolute truth. You could ask them, do you believe that absolutely? Or is that absolutely true? Don't let this go over your head today. Look at your neighbor and say it's time to think. This is what atheists say. We don't believe that. Of course not. Why not? Because we don't believe in racism. We don't believe that old people should be killed. We don't rejoice when babies die and say, oh, this is great for natural selection. We don't eat each other. All over the world, all different cultures recognize a moral code. An atheism who attacks God for the things they don't understand can't explain the morality that they themselves live by. The second thing that you'll hear people talk about in life is dualism. Everybody say dualism. Thank you. Dualism means both good and evil exist as two opposite and equal powers. Kind of where we get this idea of yin and yang. And how this kind of runs into Christianity is you'll see Jesus and the devil, and they'll be like arm wrestling. And it's like Jesus will punch the devil, and then all of a sudden the devil will punch back God. And it's like good and evil, they're wrestling against each other. But is that true? Is evil just as powerful as good? Well, you might look at your experience and say, well, sometimes I experience good, sometimes I experience bad. But if this is true, then Jesus is a liar. Not only is Jesus a liar, but Jesus is a lunatic. Because when Jesus is upon the earth, he actually says that he saw evil embodied and Satan cast out of heaven. He actually said that when people chose him, they could stop on Satan's work, the evil one, as they do on scorpions and serpents. So was Jesus a lunatic, or was Jesus telling us that evil is actually a person, not just a thing and it's defeated by a good God. Now we talked about reasons why we believe in Christianity. We believe in Christianity over any other philosophy because it's grounded in history. We believe in it because Noah's Ark was true. We can prove that. We believe it through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a verifiable miracle. And we believe in it because of its 300 plus fulfilled prophecies. So when we take Jesus seriously, we see that Jesus is teaching us that good is in God and that evil is in the devil and those who follow him. And so dualism is not correct. The next thing that we see is denial. Somebody say denial. Now, this is not so popular in this uh, century, but a hundred years ago, Christian science came out, and they would use the Bible, and they would say, hey, did Jesus die on the cross? And you would say, yes, he did. Did he destroy the power of sin? And you would say, yes, he did. Then they would say, well, then sin doesn't exist anymore. Evil doesn't exist anymore. And you would say to them, but hold on. I still feel evil. I still see evil. And then they would say to you, ooh, it's just an illusion. So what you have to do is you have to go into your mind and become metaphysical. You have to go beyond the physical world, and you can't speak into your pain. So if you're sick, you don't say you're sick. I'm good. You know, you got a bloody nose. No, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know what I'm saying? you got cancer. No, everything's good. Smile. You know, somebody dies in your family. No, I'm good. Don't feel pain. doesn't exist. Now, my friends, we just know that's not rational. Pain does exist. Pinch your neighbor and see if they still experience pain. Make sure they're still alive today. 
Okay, pain and suffering is not just an illusion. And then lastly, we see in fatalism. Somebody say fatalism. Fatalism believes that God is the source of everything. Thus, he created evil and works it all for his good. Now, where does this come out in Christian theology? This comes out today in modern-day Calvinism, and which is what a lot of Christians believe, that God... God created evil for his own benefit and that he knew Satan would do all of that and he actually wanted Satan to tempt us. He wanted mankind to fall. He wanted these things to happen. Well, as you keep following that out, God becomes quite mean because God is now the author of evil. God is the one doing the evil. And so this is where some Christians say God can do that and still be good because his definition of good is not your definition of good. But the problem with that is it's the only definition definition of good that I have is the one found in the Bible and now I'm confused because if God is actually the one making me sick and if God's actually the one bringing all the evil why does he tell me to pray so the evil doesn't happen you see the Calvinistic point of view that God is just fatalistic what will happen will happen you can't do anything about him just hold on for the ride doesn't seem like the teachings of the Bible the teachings of the Bible seem like we interact with God that God feels our pain that God actually says to us I don't want to do this but if you keep doing it doing what you're doing wrong I'll do it kind of like a parent I don't want to spank your little butt but if you don't clean that room I will they have the idea that God does want the child not to clean the room just so he can come in and spank we don't believe in fatalism and those who believe in that basically just kind of sit back cross their arms and say well when the good lord's ready to change me he will because then everything's just based on what god does we don't do anything he's just in control of everything how many want to see what the bible says can you say amen Turn with me to Psalms 106, verse 1. Number one, we learn from the Bible, God is good. That means he is omnibenevolent. He is good in the way you and I understand good. He's a good God. Amen? God is good. Okay, we've got to have church 101 right here, okay, for some of the newbies. I'm going to say God is good, and then you're going to say all the time. And then I'm going to say God is good all the time. Are we ready? So some of you guys who have been around for a while, you all help them out. God is good. And all the time, come on, one more time, God is good. And all the time, amen, look at Psalms 106, 1 through 3. It says, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who consistently do what is right. The Bible says, praise him because he's good. That means he likes good things. He's not trying to trick you fatalistically and say, oh, touch, the, touch the stove, touch the stove, go ahead and touch it, go ahead and touch it, I dare you to touch it. Ah, that hurts. See, I told you to touch it. You know what I'm saying? God is not trying to trick us into do bad things. God is good. God is good. Get that in your mind today. Those of you who are going through a suffering situation, those of you who may be hot right now, and, and you might be thinking to yourself, this is suffering right now, okay? Listen to me. God is still good without an air conditioning. Now, that, that's pretty easy. Can we all say that? Say, God is good without an air conditioning. See, that's pretty small, but we can start right there. But hold on. Is God good when we bury our child? When my mother lost her daughter, my sister drinking and driving, can you still say that day, praise the Lord, give thanks, for he is good. Somebody say, he is good. You see, all the time, you have to remember that whatever situation you are facing, God is good. God is good. That means God is on your side. 
You may not understand it. You may not be able to put it all together. And we're going to get to some of those points today. But I want you to resolve this. Some of you might be like, I understand. Let's move on. No, you don't because I've heard it from the pastoral counseling chair that once bad starts happening, this is the first thing the devil attacks. Oh, God's not good. God's not good. He wouldn't have let that happen to you. He couldn't be a good God. You see, if God was in control, he would have stopped that car accident. If God really loves you, you wouldn't have lost your business. To hell with the devil. Listen to me, my friends. That is not rationalization. That is the devil lying to you. You have got to tell the devil, go back to hell where you came from. I believe that God is good. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his love endures forever. And you came to a church called Metro Praise. We are praising his name. Come on, somebody. Now, did Jesus back up that idea? Remember, we believe in Jesus because he's grounded in history, because he was a man of his word, fulfilled prophecy, and because of his resurrection. Look at what Jesus said when somebody came up to him in Mark 10, 18. Why do you call me good? Because they came to Jesus and said, good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So did Jesus believe that God was good? Did he believe that? Should you believe God is good? Amen. That's the first thing. The second thing, Genesis 1.31, I want you to know that God originally created everything good. My friends, you did not come from evolutionary chance millions and billions of years ago. You came from a God who created you. And when he originally created us upon this earth, it was good. Look at your neighbor and say it was good. It was good. God created, the Bible says, the heavens and the earth. He created everything. God saw all that he had made, and it was, somebody say, very good. Say it again, very good. The Bible says he created it very good. That means if you would have been in the Garden of Eden, you would have loved it there. You would have saw all the beautiful creation of God. You would have been able to look up into the heavens as far as you could possibly see and see a good heavens, good atmosphere. You would know that God was good. You would look at your own self and know that God made you good. Do you know that the first man and woman were naked, did not even know they were naked because of the glory of God shining on them like a light bulb? Do you know if you look at a light right now, you can't even see the plastic or the glass around it because the light shines out through it. And that's how their body was. Their body was just the shell, the glory of God shone around them, and they knew God was good. Somebody say, God is good. So we learn God is good and that everything he created is good. This is how it starts in the book of Genesis. He saw the heavens. He saw the earth. He saw you. He saw the human race, the male and female sexes. And he said, this is good. Amen? Now, the third thing that I want you to see is that God created man with a free will. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Just follow the story. See, this is where the atheistic thinker or the skeptic gets a little bit upset with God. Because they say, if God is so good, why would he give us a free will? Now, I want you to understand the argument so that I can cast down the argument, break it into a thousand pieces and stomp on it, and you'll never believe it again. But I want you to understand it. Amen? Because some people will trick you, and if you've never understood it and know how to break it into a thousand pieces, you might be bamboozled into actually believing it. And this is what they'll say. They'll say, well, if God was so good, why did he give you the choice to mess up? And they'll say it like this. You have a child. You put the child in the room. You give it a choice, but you don't give it a choice. Uh, You might give it a choice to play with this toy or that toy, but you don't give it a choice to play with anthrax or the Bible. 
And so what they say is, why did God give us this choice between good and evil? And then he set up the consequences to be, if you touch it, if you eat it, not only are you going to die, your whole family and for the whole human race is going to die, then everybody's going to be born with sin, and then those who don't repent are going to go to hell. And hell is not just for a few years. Hell is going to last for an eternity. See, why would a good God do that? You see, this is the argument. Now, can I help you crush it in a million pieces? Can I help you crush it in a million pieces? You want to hear the answer? Are you ready for the answer? Because he wanted to. That's it. That is it. God wanted to give you the choice. He set the parameters. You want to back out of the Christian story? Then go back and go back, go back, go back, go back to atheism then. And then you're going to deny good and evil. Go back into denying evil itself as a Christian science. Go back in and become fatalistic. You will not find anything that answers the question better than this. Here is the best answer you have for free will. God wanted it that way. God wanted you to make a choice based on eternity, eternal consequences. God made you to make that choice. When you and I get to heaven, we'll understand it more, but that is how God made us. And the example he gives us about questioning him is in Romans chapters 9. He said, can the pot look back to the potter and say, why did you make me this way? No, it cannot. The Bible says that you do not have the right to go back up to God and say, why did you give me this free will with these consequences? You don't have the right. Because God created you with it because he wanted to. That's his prerogative. He's God and you're not. Can you say amen? If you learn that, you'll be a lot happier. Amen? Now look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. See, free will. Somebody say free will. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. He set it up. That's the way he wanted it. That's what they had to live with. That was it. There is no more why, 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 why. No. If, like I said, you deny this. You have no other options except the ones I'm giving you. I've heard all different types of varieties of that. It always comes back down to those options. You become an atheist. You become a fatalist. You become a dualist. But it never answers all the questions. The biggest thing you need to realize is God did it because he wanted to. Can you say amen? But he does give us some answers to questions that do go alongside of what's going on here. Here's three questions that follow that. Where did Satan come from? So Satan becomes the tempter in the Garden of Eden. How many know that Satan's there? Can you say amen? So Satan pops in by the tree of knowledge, good and evil. So where did he come from? Where did evil come from before Satan? So where was evil before Satan had evil? Because when you follow the story of who Satan is, he was a created being with free will as well. The only difference, he wasn't a human being made in the image of God. He was an angelic being. So the question is, where did evil come from before Satan? and got evil himself. And then the next thing that comes up is, why did God make such severe consequences if he knew they would sin? Here's some answers for you to chew on. First, where did Satan come from? He was an angel that used his free will to disobey God. So God apparently made angels with the same ability to choose right from wrong as he did for human beings. He gave them free will. Some may say free will. Now, the problem with this is that the Bible says there's no plan of redemption for fallen angels. That means no fallen angels get the 
plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Once they fell into sin, the Bible says they are forever lost. They're gone. There is no redemption for them. And the lake of fire is the place for fallen angels. So those who follow fallen angels like Satan and his demons will suffer eternally in the lake of fire. Can you say amen? Just help me preach it as I teach it. Amen. The second thing that you learn is where did evil come from before Satan? Now, I want you to listen to Augustine's argument in 600 AD, uh, the 6th century and 500 AD. This is what Augustine said, and I still agree with it. Evil has existed as long as free will has existed in God's creation. It is the absence of his goodness like darkness or coldness. Now, everybody think of this. If I was to ask you right now, could you hold in your hand darkness? No, you couldn't. Can you measure darkness? No. Darkness is not a thing. It is the absence of a thing. The thing you can hold in your hand is light. The thing that you can measure is light. This is not a mind game. Just follow me. When light begins to dissipate, darkness begins to come. You see, evil is not a thing like how God is good. God is a good God. He is a thing. Evil is the absence of a thing. So when God created free will, he said, here I am, serve me, and you will know goodness. If you stop serving me, if you come out of my goodness, the absence of me is evil. Are you understanding it now? The absence of light is darkness. Now, once again, is coldness a thing? No, coldness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of heat. You talk to scientists, they understand that both darkness and coldness are not things, but heat and light are. That is what evil is. It is the absence of God. So back in the Garden of Eden, when he gave them free will, when they disobeyed God, they then left the goodness of God in their nature, and they then became evil. Some may say evil. Thank you. And then the last thing is, why did God make such severe consequences if he knew his creation would sin? Out of God's holiness comes his justice and his judgment. So I want you to understand what God is doing here. Now turn to number four, Genesis chapter three. This may not get you shouting, but if you can just say amen every now and then, it'll make me know you're paying attention. Amen? Man sinned, and thus evil and suffering came as a result. So remember, created in God's goodness. God is good. God created everything good. Then God gave us a free will. He let us make a choice. Do you want to be in the light, or do you want to be in the darkness? Do you want to be in the heat, in the warmth, or do you want to be in the coldness? What do you want? And you see, man, we see, made a choice. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, In the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. The first death, the first evil that comes to them, the first pulling back of light, the first pulling back of the heat, is in their spiritual life. Now they realize they're naked. They now realize that they no longer have the glory of God, the light shining on them. Now all they see is their darkness, which is their flesh. The glory of God had hid it before. They didn't know that they were naked, so the first thing that dies as a result is the spiritual life within them. The second thing, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. Now God brings a curse to the animal kingdom. Where once the lion lay down with the lamb and there was peace in the garden, now God takes away his peace. He takes away his light, and now there begins to become evil in the animal kingdom. Now it's going to become a dog-eat-dog world. The next thing that you see happens to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. How many have had some pains in childbearing, ladies? Can you say amen? 
What happens then is the body is now going to experience the curse. The body is not going to have the perfect goodness of God, the light of God. It's now going to be able to experience evil. The animal kingdom is going to experience evil. The spirit of man is experiencing evil. The body now is experiencing evil. Then to Adam he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Now the natural world, everything you touch, the trees growing up, the natural disasters, hurricanes, tsunamis, these things come as a result of God's curse. So what did he have here when he created it good? He had his glory and he had his goodness and he gave man a choice. Man then made the wrong choice. He took it all out. He took out his glory out of man's spirit. He took out his peace out of the animal kingdom. He took out his blessing off the body. And he took his blessing off the natural world. This is the place you are born into. This is why there is evil in suffering. Because man has sinned. That's why it's here. And once again, it may not make you want to shout and do cartwheels down the aisle. But this is why it's here. It's not here because God is not good. It's not here because God does not love you. It's not here because God created it this way. It's because God gave us free will to make a choice. How do you want the world to be? And now before we get all mad at Adam and Eve and say, well, look at those bozos. They messed it all up for all of us. And Adam and Eve is every person. And Adam and Eve is every person. You know as well as I have that there's been a time in your life you've had to choose from right and wrong, and you chose wrong. That shows that you would have done the same thing they did. If you have ever willfully sinned, I'm not talking about you saying, well, I, you know, I was born this way. My mama made me do it. My daddy made me do it. Oh, if you knew the neighborhood I lived in. No, I'm just talking about every single one of you can look to many situations, if not just one right now, a time where you knew good versus evil. Should I tell the truth on my taxes, or should I fudge the numbers? Should I be honest with my my fiance, girlfriend, or wife, or should I hide this from them? And you and I know we've all chosen to sin at one time or another. So in Adam and Eve is the will of every single one of us. Now the story keeps getting better. Follow along. Now we come to number five. Help me get to number five, please. Number five is what the Bible says Jesus does as a result. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I had a little delay on this slide, so I need you all to hear the preacher right now. I said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, today when Jesus enters into the picture, it's not just as a martyr from the movie Braveheart. It's not like this is another retelling of Star Wars here, and now Jesus defeats the dark side, but it can come back tomorrow. No, my friends, you and I have forgot because we've heard it so many times what this story actually means. Charles Finney said in the 1800s that the greatest way to make people dull to the cross is to keep telling them the cross and the story of it over and over again without the power, and then they themselves will hear it and no longer believe it as power. They'll believe it as a myth, and they become numb to it. But if you were to tell this to a Jewish person who in the time believed that God was so far away that he could barely hear their prayers, that he was coming to be on earth with them, this was revolutionary. And then when you talk to people like in India and in Hinduism where they have gods galore that do all types of feats and do all types of things, and then you tell them that this God not only came in power, but he came as a servant, and he suffered, and he let his own creation crucify him. You now see that this story is revolutionary. And I want you to just pause in your mind as I continue right here to preach. Are you right now just hearing the story as a numb believer? Or are you going to hear it as an excited, heartfelt believer? 
You see, Jesus is the answer, my friends. Jesus is the answer. He knew that we would mess up, but he still allowed us to have choice because he didn't want robots. And he loved us more than the angels because he offers the plan of redemption. And when he comes to destroy the works of the devil, he doesn't do it just riding on a mighty horse, slashing the devil everywhere. The Bible says he took the punishment we deserved upon himself. Praise God. I want you to look at 1 John. Look at what it says, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why did Jesus come to destroy the devil's work? Why did he come on this earth to get your back? Why did he come to put down the devil and give you victory? Why did Jesus come to destroy the works of Satan. He's a good God and he sent his good son to give us the message and the salvation we needed to rescue us. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. It is the answer to man's problem. Jesus is the answer. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. You mean the sin that got us to, to, to have all this evil? You mean I can get out of the rat race of sin? Yes. Jesus doesn't want you to continue in sin anymore. He came to destroy the work that the devil had did here with sin. So that means you do not continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been what? Born of, say it again, he has been Born of God. Yes, you were born a sinner. Yes, you were born busted and disgusted. Yes, you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Yes, you were born into a world with hurt and pain. But I want to tell you something. Because Jesus came to this earth, you can be born again a conqueror. You can be born again a child of God. You can be born again set free. You can be born again blessed. You can be born again with the, the great power of God on the inside of you. And go destroy the devil's work in other people's life. Yes, I was born a sinner, but I've been born again a saint. Hallelujah. God is looking for people to believe the message today that he defeats evil. There isn't some dualistic battle between God and the devil. The Bible says he pimp slapped him on the cross. Then he crushed his head in the grave. And then when he came up, he said, all authority is mine. Now go and preach my message. It's over, friend. He is a defeated foe. I'm on the shouting side of Calvary waiting for the rapture. Come on, somebody. It's time that we become believers of the message of Jesus Christ. There is no other solution except through Jesus Christ. And so he's the answer to the problem of evil. And then lastly, what we see right here. Turn to Isaiah 53, one of the most touching passages of Scripture you'll ever read in your life. Some 1,500 years before the very times of Jesus. What I'm talking about here is a prophecy. I'm talking about a prophecy that preceded Jesus by over 1,500 years. This prophecy came about what God's Son would do. And today's message is now going to become personal to you. I believe that in this place there are some that are suffering and there are some that have evil. And you're asking for a solution. Jesus is the answer to your problem. And I want to encourage you today. He understands exactly what you're going through. Jesus 
is the answer. Look at Isaiah 53 as you think about the cross. You would think this was written at the time of the cross. Remember, 1,500 years before Jesus, this was written. Why? Because God was saying, get ready. He's coming. Don't give up, people of Israel. He's coming. Write down the message. I'm sending a solution. I myself will be the lamb, Abraham. He's coming. Hang on. He's coming. He shall be born of a virgin. His name will be Emmanuel. Come on, look at Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Jesus didn't come as uh, he didn't come as the God uh, Krishna. He didn't come as Buddha trying to avoid the suffering of this world he was familiar with it like one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not you might just say well he just had a bad life I feel sorry for Jesus no now it goes on to the supernatural Isaiah 53 verse 4 but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Somebody say amen. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. The Bible says it was Jehovah, our Father's will to crush him. Why was the Father crushing his own son? Why was God saying, I am pleased in him? Because Jesus is the answer to what we messed up. And the father said, go get him back, boy. Son, go get him back. Go get back my creation. Go get back what the devil stole from me. He said, who will go for me? Isaiah stood up as a voice, said, I will go. Standing prophetically for Jesus, the father said, who will go for me? Jesus said, I will go. When you look at the cross, you're not just looking at Braveheart. You're not just looking at an innocent man dying as a martyr. You're looking at God in the flesh. The God who created you. The God who was there at the beginning. The good God who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The God who visited Abraham in Genesis 18 on the plains of Mamre. The God who showed up to Gideon. And said, God is with you, mighty warrior. The God who followed the Israelite people as a cloud by day and a fire by night. The God that showed up as a fourth man, as the Son of God in the fire, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was the God who showed up in Daniel's lion's den and shut the mouths of the lions. It was the God who created us. Here he is as his only son is dying. And it says, I am pleased. 
The Father was pleased as God took on flesh as the Son and came down and died for us. Because we believe God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yet it was the Lord's will, verse 10, to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Will you stand up with me today and give the Lord a hand clap of praise in the house of God? We thank you, Jesus. I want you to understand this as the band comes today. No one has given you a patty cake answer. I probably gave you more theology than our Bible college students get in their undergrad biblical studies degree right now. Nobody just patty caked you today. I preached to you the gospel with wisdom. I gave to you the understanding. Now I want to ask you a question. Does that by itself take away the pain? Just knowing. No, it doesn't. I want you to think about this. Baby Bethany gets an infection. Let's say she gets sick. My child, going to be two years old, December 10th. And there she is suffering. Maybe she has a fever. Now I could put her up in my arms. And I could say, okay, Bethany, let me explain to you anatomy and biology right now. You have a sinus cavity. You have blood and and tissue in your body. How many know that ain't going to take away one bit of her pain? I could explain it all day long. How many know if one of you just broke your arm right now and we went over to you and said, let me tell you how the bones of the body are made. You're there laying with your arm all broken. Let me just tell you about the, the bones. Well, you see, you've got these cells, and they come together, and the marrow, it forms this. What would you be screaming out? Help me! Help me! But, but, but I am helping you. I'm telling, I'm telling you about your bones. That, I mean, that's helping you. You see, we cry out to God, God, help me! And we want him to come down and tell us, well, this is why your daughter died. And, and this is why you lost your mom. He knows it ain't going to help. That's the point, my friends. You're a child to him. And as much as we want to stomp our feet and say, make me understand it, God. He says, it doesn't matter if I tell you about it. You're still not going to understand it. Because how we know I could old baby Bethany right here. And I could tell her about how an airplane flies, but she's not going to understand it. She just needs to get in my arms and get on the plane. And trust daddy knows how to get there. You see, God is looking for people. God is looking for people that aren't accusing him. And asking him to do things that he knows he can't do and he won't do. He won't violate his word. He said, call to me and I will answer you. He didn't say I was going to come down and explain the entire universe. My friends, do you understand an eternal minded God would take all eternity just to explain to you how he got to where he is now in the present? How could he explain to you what's going on in the future when it would take eternity just to go back? You see, my friends, he's been around forever. So if you just said, okay, God, start explaining stuff, he would say, I hope you got a while because i got to go all the way back in eternity, time without end, and start telling you everything back there for this to make sense right now. (laughs) And we want to stomp our feet. And in all seriousness, we get angry at God, and people leave church, and they say, God should have been there. That shouldn't have happened. And why did it happen? We don't understand that the 
most important thing we need did happen. When he was there, my friends, supernaturally, he experienced your pain. Not just the whip of a soldier. That's not the only pain he was feeling. The piercing of his flesh. That wasn't the only pain. Isaiah said that will happen. But while that is happening, God is shoveling onto him the suffering and the iniquity of us all. So when he is there, he can say, I understand. And what does he say? Go back to the cross. He's there. All the suffering is on him. All of the pain is on him. Three o'clock in the afternoon, sky goes pitch black. And what does he say? Hello, Eloi, lama sabachthani. In Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, In eternity, the Son knew what it was like to not have the Father. Why? So that He could be the mediator now between you and the Father. Because of His suffering, you don't have to cry out, My God, my God, where are you? He took it. The Bible then says that now there's one God and there's one mediator between man and God. His name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He experienced our punishment. He experienced the pain. And he said, God, here I am by myself. And then he went to the grave and he defeated it. And he came back and he says, now I've won it. I knew what it was like to take their pain. And now I stand in the gap. One hand to glory and another one to us. And he says, I know what it's like to be right here. So when we cry out and we say, God, I don't know if you're here. He says, no, 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 I'm here. When you're crying, those tears going, I don't think anybody understands. He's saying, I understand. He says, I understand. Stand. And so today the question is what are you going to do with the evil in your life? Let's just start with the sin of your life. This isn't the things that have happened to you. This is not the Hurricane Katrina's. This is not the air conditioning breaking. You know, this is the things you know you've done wrong. This is the evil inside of your heart. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be on the rat race of sin and just... Oh, that's just the way I am. I'm going to stay a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'm going to die a sinner. Are you going to be that fatalist and just go, well, if God wants me to stop smoking, then he can just take a cigarette out my head. Well, if God wants me to stop clubbing, he can shut it down. Are you going to be atheistic and go, ah, there's no really good or bad. It's all relevant. It don't matter. That's just old religion. You're going to deny it and go, well, you know what? There's probably not really any evil in this world anyway. Jesus loves me. I'll go to heaven and I'll be fine. He loves me. Are you going to come to the cross where a Savior bled and died for you and be washed and set free? What does it mean to be free? You're no longer in the chains of your sin. 
So today with your evil, come to the cross and His blood will make you as white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. The blood of Jesus will wash you clean today. Bring your sin and your evil to a loving Savior who destroyed the devil's work on the cross. And then the second thing, some of you here today are suffering. You're suffering and it's painful and you're just at a place right now where you can't take another bit of it. You don't know how you can go through another night. You don't know how you can continue on with the pain, with the deep-rooted pain, that you might have a face on the outside, it's okay, and you're smiling, God bless you, brother. But on the inside, you're falling apart. I want to tell you something. There's a God who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a God who's there with you in your time of mourning. And this is what He says, mourning may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, anybody who's heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. God is looking for a people that will come to Him and say, good God, do a good work in me. Only Jesus, my friends. Only Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today that it was Your will to send Jesus for us so that he could be crushed, so that he could be oppressed and rejected, so that we could be free. Today, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Just take a few moments right now, friends, and thank him for the cross. Come on, just begin to thank him right now. Just begin to thank him in your own way, whatever you got to do to let him know you're thankful. Thank you, Jesus. As our prayer workers are coming, they're going to be lining the front. Nobody here today is to judge you. Nobody here today is to point a finger at you. All that we're asking to do is that you would trust God. With every head bowed and eyes closed right now, I'm going to begin to pray for those right now that are suffering from some type of evil. It could be pornography. It could be anger. It could be lying. It could be drug addiction. It doesn't matter what evil you're suffering from today. I want everybody to pray this with me. Everybody, because everybody's been there. So we're going to encourage each other. And especially those today who you know you need it. Pray with everything you have. Pray this with me, saints and sinners alike. Say it, Jesus, I need you today. I come just as I am. But I want to leave just as you are. I ask you to change my heart. Search me and know me, O God, and show me my wicked ways. Right now, begin to let God do that. Come on, let him do that. And as he begins to start to put his finger on it, if you already know what it is, just start to say, Jesus, I confess my sins. Come on, I confess my anger, Jesus. I confess my lust, God. Forgive me. Come on, just pray on your own. I've led you so far. Come on, just you and God right now. Come on, those who got evil in their heart. Lord, I confess my sexual immorality. I confess it, God. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, God. Come on, I'm giving you a few moments. Make it real today. Make it real today. And now everyone continue praying. Continue praying with me and say, Jesus, 
Come on, say, Jesus, I'm confessing my sins because I believe you died for me to wash away my iniquity, to take away my wickedness. Wash me clean today, Jesus. Let your blood cleanse me now. As you believe it's happening, just begin to raise up your hands and just begin to thank Him right now. Cleansing, purity, new life coming to you. All Jesus said you had to do was repent and believe in Him. If you've repented and you believe in Him, the Bible says you're saved. You're saved. You're born again. Now times of refreshing are going to begin to come. God's going to give you a clean heart. God's going to change you today. Come on. Come on, let it happen today. Don't resist Him. You have a free will. The devil didn't make you do it, and God can't make you do it. It's up to you today. And come on now, I'm going to pray for those who are suffering. You're going through situations in your life right now, and you just say, I can't bear it another minute. I feel like I'm all alone. I just don't understand it. I need help from God. Everybody's going to pray it with you today because we've all been there. So now let's pray together, saints. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you today that you took all of my sufferings. You took all of my pain. Because of the cross, you know how I feel. And today, Jesus, I give it to you. I let go, and I let you have it. Now, right now, tell God what it is. Come on, whatever it is in your heart right now, tell Him what it is. Come on, just tell Him what it is. God, take this pain of losing a child. Take this pain, God, of being without a job. Take this pain of abuse, this pain of divorce. God, take it and set me free. Come on, Jesus. Just tell him what it is. It's between you and him. Jesus. Now continue praying with me. Now say, Jesus, I believe in you. That you said you would turn my sorrows into joy. Jesus, you said you would heal the brokenhearted. I believe and I receive. Now just begin to raise up your hands and receive the healing of God. Receive it. Now on the count of three as the band get ready to play, we as a church want to pray for you before we dismiss. For those who've accepted Jesus or got some evil out their life or for those who are dealing with suffering. When I count to three, I want you to get to this altar. Take your wife or children by the hand and let us pray for you today. One, God is good and He loves you. Two, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Three, come now. It's your time. Let us pray for you as we keep singing out, I'm coming your way. Jesus, Jesus, come to the Lord. Let us pray for you before you go.